We all love watching movies shot in Albuquerque and then pointing out the places we know. For years, New Mexico has continued building a national pedigree for the silver screen. Big tax breaks, cheaper costs, wide open, mostly unrecognizable Western landscapes, and not too many prying eyes. All of it has helped the film industry blossom in this state. But there is one story that has truly set the state apart in national headlines over a little more than a year now. That is the fatal shooting on the set of an Alec Baldwin film called Rust. A 2021 on-set mishap with a firearm ended with the film's cinematographer Helena Hutchins shot to death and the film's director Joel Souza seriously injured. Since the shooting, investigators spent months combing through evidence in the high-profile case, and it's a case that's been surrounded by a lot of questions of negligence and a question of if anyone should face criminal charges. Last week, as expected, the hammer finally dropped Alec Baldwin and two other staff on the film were formally charged with crimes for their roles in that fatal shooting. This week on the podcast, a closer look at what happened and what's to come in the Rust movie set shooting case. And in the second half of the episode, a conversation with an Albuquerque attorney about what may be one of the highest profile trials in New Mexico history. Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhardt. Gabby, I want to start with day one of the shooting again. It was October 21st, 2021. What do you remember about that day, if anything? Yeah, I remember breaking news, you know, alert coming through in the newsroom. We sent a crew over to the Bonanza Creek Ranch, which was near Santa Fe, a very you know rural part of the state. And we didn't really know a whole lot at that time. I remember we, I think we sent the helicopter over to get some footage because we couldn't really get close enough to the scene to see what was taking place. But that day it was like an all hands on deck trying to figure out what happened. We knew Alec Baldwin was shooting a film there because we'll get into this later, but we had seen him posting on Instagram that he was in town in New Mexico filming a movie. I just recall the fact that this was something that happened at a movie set and that is so rare. You know, we know that people come into the state to film movies, but that's about it. They pretty much lock everything down from there. They'll tell you when it's finished. They'll tell you if it wins awards, but that's it. So to hear about something that happened in the middle of filming was really rare. Breaking news tonight. Santa Fe County deputies have blocked off an area at Bonanza Creek Ranch where a movie is being filmed. This is a Sky News video of the scene. This is south of Santa Fe for reference and east of I-25. So this shooting, it happened at Bonanza Creek Ranch, which is just south of Santa Fe. It's a place that's been used for movie shoots for decades. A KRQE alum, Jamie Seymour, actually did a story about the facility in 2019, describing it as a pond and thousands of acres of land back in the 1950s, and it began appearing in movies. 30 years later, it would become a full-service filming location. So this film, Rust, began production out there at the ranch around October, starring Baldwin, but he wasn't just an actor on the film. He was also a producer. That producer role is going to be very important to this story. So remember that fact, that Baldwin was not just an actor on this film, but a producer in this project. So the movie itself was a lower budget production from what we understand, with Baldwin as the lead actor. 
In a lot of other write-ups about this movie, it's actually been dubbed as a brand of films called geezer teasers. That's a term that was created by one publication out there, but sort of used to describe lower budget movies using aging big name actors as leads. And typically these actors don't take much time to shoot on the movie sets of these films. New Mexico Film Office reports that Rust follows the story of a 13-year-old boy who must care for himself and his younger brother after the death of their parents in Kansas in the 1800s. Baldwin arrived in New Mexico about 10 days before the shooting. This is in 2021. We all knew that because of an irreverent video he posted on Instagram about how clean the bathrooms were inside of Albuquerque's Sunport Airport. Those sorts of social media posts are often the only time we know at large that celebrities and acting types are in New Mexico. Typically, that would be the last we hear of their presence unless they continue to post on social media. But a week and a half later, the Rust movie set was thrust into the front of breaking news coverage for all of the local stations here in New Mexico. And quickly then, the national and international media that followed we learned pretty quickly there had been a mishap on the set and that a prop gun had been misfired, killing the film's cinematographer, Helena Hutchins, and injuring the film director, Joel Souza. That day, though, no one on the set and with the movie was really talking about what happened. As the days went on, some of the first allegations emerged about safety on the set. Day after the shooting, Baldwin put out a statement on Twitter saying he was in shock and he was saddened by what happened, but he also mentioned that he was fully cooperating with the investigation. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the uh, Santa Fe County Sheriff's Office. I'm Sheriff Adon Mendoza. It was nearly a week later that Santa Fe County Sheriff Adon Mendoza at the time held a big news conference with the details. Alec Baldwin was handling and fired a long Colt revolver while rehearsing a scene on the set. During the initial investigation, it was determined that actor-producer Alec Baldwin was the person that fired the weapon. We identified two other people that handled and or inspected the loaded firearm prior to Baldwin firing the weapon. During that media briefing, we learned that two people handled that gun before handing it to Baldwin, the film's armorer or weapons chief, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, and the film's assistant director, David Halls. According to a search warrant, Halls told investigators he would check the barrel of prop guns and Gutierrez-Reed would spin the drums to check for ammunition and determine whether the gun the firearm was safe. Hall said when Gutierrez showed him the firearm used by Baldwin after the shooting, he remembered seeing four dummy casings and a fifth without a cap on it. He says he should have checked them all but didn't and couldn't remember if Gutierrez-Reed had spun the drum to check either. That first news conference, I think, established two things. The first being that the allegations about the nature of the set and a recipe for negligence, they possibly had some truth to them. The sheriff at the time acknowledged that they were investigating claims that target practice may have been happening on the set. Going back to the questions about uh, whether there was target practice on set, are you investigating whether people were recreationally shooting on the ranch property aside from filming? We are aware of those statements and uh, we are investigating um, whether or not that is true or it isn't true. And I would encourage anybody that has any information that any target practicing or any firearm was discharged um, away from the movie set or, or for practice or, or for, 
for whatever reason to, to contact the sheriff's office. The second thing that became clear from the news conference, the investigation into potential criminal charges was far from over. We cannot answer that question yet until we complete a more thorough investigation. But there is potential for Alec Baldwin himself to face charges because you have not ruled them out. No one has been ruled out at this point. So in the months since then, everyone has really had a lot of chances to weigh in on this case and give interviews to police about what happened. Baldwin took to social media to defend the practices on set because keep in mind, he was also the producer on the film set. Armour Gutierrez-Reed filed a lawsuit in January 2022, leveling allegations against the company that supplied the prop ammunition on the set. That lawsuit is still pending. In a lawsuit filed today, 24-year-old Hannah Gutierrez-Reed claims that Seth Kenny and his Albuquerque company, PDQ Arm and Prop, supplied dummy rounds to the set that were mixed with live rounds of ammunition. And we know Baldwin as well. He gave media interviews. There was a lot of sort of perspective that was put out there from Baldwin's viewpoint, saying he was not responsible for what happened, but he was also terribly sorry. Then in March, facing a lawsuit, Baldwin denied responsibility for the shooting, placing blame on the crew who handed him the gun. Alec Baldwin's lawyers filed an arbitration demand Friday, denying responsibility for the death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins. Baldwin alleges that Dave Halls, the assistant director, yelled out cold gun while handing Baldwin a pistol. And it was the job of armor Hannah Gutierrez-Reed to make sure the gun was safe. Baldwin maintains that throughout his career, he's trusted other professionals on set to do their jobs. And until that October day, he had never been involved in a safety breach on set. He says someone should be held legally culpable for Hutchins' death, but it's not him. He's, quote, just an actor. Eventually, in April 2022, the state weighed in through a workplace safety assessment or sort of OSHA assessment. That was one of the first cracks in the case that indeed something was wrong. The report finds that the Rust movie production management knew that firearm safety procedures weren't followed on set, showed indifference to employee safety. Production company was issued a willful serious citation from the state of New Mexico. That included a $136,000 fine. This is the maximum fine that the state is able to levy in these types of cases. Baldwin offered a defense to that citation, basically saying in part he was grateful to the New Mexico Occupational Health and Safety Bureau, OSHA, for investigating the matter. And he also said, quote, we appreciate the report exonerates Mr. Baldwin by making clear that he believed the gun only held dummy rounds. Additionally, the report recognized that Mr. Baldwin's authority on the production was limited to approving script changes and creative casting. And he also said in that statement that Baldwin had no authority over the matters that were the subjects of the Bureau's findings of the violations. So in summary, responding to that OSHA statement and the fine still exonerating himself for the shooting that killed Helena Hutchins. Yeah, he's essentially saying, look, I told you so. I had no authority over all of these things that happened on the set. I was just the actor who unfortunately was at the center of the shooting. In some ways, it was sort of using that moment to say, look, I am not accountable for what happened here. Days after that citation, we eventually got to see the police video from interviews of the key players and what they told investigators. It should have been a cold gun with no rounds inside or dummy rounds. 
cosmetic rounds, no flash. I take the gun out slowly. I turn, I cock the pistol, bang, it goes up. She hits the ground. She goes down. That was Alec Baldwin's comments. Hannah Gutierrez-Reed said this. Why would there be live ammo on the set? I have no idea. Um, at this point, it's kind of seeming like somehow these were mixed in. It would be more than a year, though, before we'd finally get answers about criminal charges. The Santa Fe County District Attorney Mary Carmack Altuiz announced in late January of this year that charges would be filed. Um, we looked at the facts and evidence once we got that report from the sheriff's office, um, engaged some experts that could help us walk through some of that facts and evidence to, to make sure that we understood movie industry standards and the guns. And we came to the conclusion that three people were criminally responsible for what happened to Helena Hutchins. And so we chose to charge all three. We did, we did um, make a plea deal with David Halls, but all three were looking at the same charges. And the DA is actually handing this case to a special prosecutor, Andrea Reeb. She actually used to be a district attorney herself in the southeast part of the state for the Clovis area. She's actually now a state representative in her first term this year and working in private practice as an attorney now. The charges were formally filed on January 31st, the last day of the month, and finally a narrative was released of what prosecutors claim went wrong and why they believe criminal negligence took place, citing things like a lack of safety meetings and allegations that Baldwin was talking on his cell phone during firearms training. After this shooting took place back in 2021, we did an episode here on the podcast interviewing a longtime film armorer who explained some of the industry protocols and safety measures that are supposed to take place. Feel free to go back and listen to that one for more context about how prop guns and dummy rounds are supposed to be used on movie sets. So now we're at a point where both Baldwin and Gutierrez-Reed are facing one count of involuntary manslaughter. Meanwhile, the assistant director, David Hall, he is taking a plea deal in the case also offering to testify as it moves towards a potential prosecution. So you know the context of the case, there's a lot to it, but what's next and will this case actually go to trial? Our conversation with longtime Albuquerque criminal defense attorney Ahmad Assad after the break. Ahmad Assad is a well-known defense attorney in Albuquerque and a returning guest here on the New Mexico News Podcast. Ahmad, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Before we get into the Rust shooting with you, Ahmad, give us a little bit more about your background for people who maybe didn't hear you on the last round. How long have you been practicing law? Where at? And and how much do you do it today? Uh, So since uh, 1995, I opened up my office uh, a year out of uh, law school. Uh, UNM. And I've been practicing in the criminal defense realm since then. Of course, my practice has evolved over the years to uh, also include a good portion uh, in terms of civil litigation. So I do a lot of, you know, PI cases, uh, some wrongful death cases on the civil side of things, but uh, have been in the courtroom since that time and continue to do that. Obviously, been blessed and the office has expanded. I have uh, three associates and paralegals, investigators. So um, my time is less in the office and more dedicated to probably my family. I'm trying to give more time to my family and my kids, but still in the thick of it. 
Yeah. A lot of work in the criminal defense realm, for sure. And Keeping me busy. civil <laughs> litigation, as Certainly. you mentioned. Yeah. It's not often that we face the potential of a high profile trial in New Mexico. Correct. How rare is this from your perspective as a, an attorney, a celebrity going on trial in New Mexico? I think you can't limit it to New Mexico. I think it's probably rare in nationally that a celebrity in the context of an actor being charged with the charges that Mr. Baldwin has faced is unique in and of itself. I can't remember or recall that an actor specifically, an actor uh, being charged, yeah. but certainly New Mexico is not had a previous case very uh, similar to the one that we're discussing today. Yeah, certainly got a lot of attention in the national media lately. We know the prosecution cut a deal for one of the three defendants yeah. charged. We can explain a little bit more about this shortly, but for Alec Baldwin and Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, what is the chance that this case actually goes to trial, you think? Um, first of all, I think the pressure on, uh, on Alec Baldwin to proceed forthwith to trial is, is vast. I see more likely his case proceeding to trial versus uh, Ms. Reed's. If I was a prosecutor, I'd probably contemplate some form of a plea with her uh, that may assist them as I imagine Mr. Halls would be doing um, and cooperate with the state in a case involving Mr. Baldwin as a defendant. And if she doesn't plea, it's going to be interesting because I think if there are antagonistic defenses between the two of them, the two remaining, um, there may be a need, and certainly uh, if there are indeed antagonistic defenses, to sever the uh, the cases or sever the juries yeah. in that respect. It's going to be you know pointing the finger at one another and Generally speaking, that's probably not appropriate yeah. for one one jury to hear. And and by that, it, it sounds like right now, from what I could tell from the filings, these cases are joined together in the sense that both Baldwin and Hannah Gutierrez-Reed would be tried within the same case, essentially. It, it, it appears that way, but there's things that are going to happen. You know, we're, they just filed formally the charges. The prelim is set. Um, uh, is going to be set down the road. I think they're appearing uh, for a felony first uh, on the um, 24th. Yeah, a little bit later in the month. Yeah, so those things will develop, but um, just anticipating so that we all understand kind of the mechanics of two people being charged, and it doesn't quite fit that both of them are going to be tried in the same case. Why do you think that Baldwin faces more of a chance to go to trial? I think that he is the... I mean, he's got many reasons why he needs to be going to trial to to acquit himself of the charges because he's got his whole career ahead of him in regards to being a an actor, uh, but also the idea that um, he has been adamant about uh, the lack of wrongdoing. I, I believe to a fault, quite frankly, publicly, he should not have been making statements, but those statements have been made. And so I think that there is uh, a clear indication from the perspective that he needs to uh, be acquitted. He needs to prove that he is not guilty of any wrongdoing for purposes of his, of backing up his statements and certainly his role as an actor and a community advocate, if you will, in a lot of res and with respect to certain uh, policies that he's taken on over the years. How much of an effort do you think is going to go into this idea of discrediting the charges against Baldwin and Gutierrez-Reed as sort of a sideshow or political theater? We know that that is 
often used as, as almost an immediate tactic and in just many other cases broadly in criminal law. I think you hear attorneys saying, you know, this is ridiculous. It should have never happened. How much do you think that the sort of political theater idea will be at play maybe here before this trial that say, oh, the DA is only going to do this just to try to make a name for herself? It's been going, like you said. Uh, and, you know, Hollywood's going to come out and, and support. We've seen it already where there's been uh, allegations lodged against the prosecutor as a, as a Republican going after a Democrat, Alec Baldwin, because of his position on guns. Uh, quite frankly, I know the, the DA, she is a staunch Democrat, quite frankly. But um, I think that special prosecutor is probably a Republican. Right, um, Andrea and, Reeve. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't think really politics is has any room here. This isn't about a political statement or position. And sadly, you're going to see some people do that. They have already. But I think this is about life and death, safety. And I don't believe that there's credibility at this point with regards to political motives to go after Mr. Baldwin. So I think the attempts at doing what you suggested is happening uh, will, you know, those will be uh, overshadowed by the facts. We mentioned the plea deal just a bit ago. That plea deal was for assistant director David Halls. He's the person who handed Alec Baldwin the gun before Hutchins was shot. His deal still needs to be accepted by the judge. What are the chances you think that the judge does not accept his plea deal? I think there are probably zero mm. chances that he will not accept that plea um, because this is, you know, the DAs have been working this investigation for quite some time. They took their time. They were very methodical, understanding the facts, did an intensive investigation uh, and came to a resolution they believe is sound and serves the community. And at the same time, I'm sure that the defense attorney, Mr. Rocco, believes that this is a fair and just resolution for with regards to her, her client's situation. So I don't see that there's an injustice to where the judge would reject a plea like this. And I think it's going to be, in my estimation, obviously this isn't public, but you know, through my experience, I believe that they're going to need him to lay out the case against uh, Baldwin. Right. Because he ultimately, and, and the yes, yeah, he ultimately was the one who handed Baldwin the gun sure. and can speak to broadly the sort of actions that happened on before. the set before this took place. Not only before, which is important, right? Because you know, and we can, I'm sure we'll get into it here in a little bit, but not just before, but during and after, and like in the during the particular incident, because he is going to be able to attest to the reactions the questions, mm -hmm. the, commun the communications. What did Mr. Baldwin do? What did he refuse to do? You know, did he check the gun? Did he not check the gun? Um, and so there's, we already know that there's, there's uh, insinuations and allegations that Mr. Baldwin had an opportunity to actually check the gun and refused to do so. So these are the kind of things that are going to play into uh, Mr. Hall's role as a cooperating witness. Baldwin and Gutierrez-Reed have each been charged with a count of involuntary manslaughter. Yeah. A lot of times we see that charge filed in different kinds of cases. Sure. Um, car crashes are, are one of them yeah. where it comes to, to light. And, and so the word involuntary means in a sense, they didn't mean to, it was unintentional. Mm -hmm. Can you explain more about the charge and sort of how much of a case do you believe is here for an involuntary manslaughter? 
That's a very good question. Um, and the involuntary nature is that there is a risk, right? That, that the person, I mean, there has to be both, two things. There has to be an actus reus and a mens rea, the act and the intention, right? So the, the act of either, uh, the act uh, uh, committed in this particular context of handling the gun and then pointing the gun and then the gun going off, that's an act that nobody can deny occurred. The issue then comes into, was there the mens rea, the heightened awareness, right, that is necessary to recognize the risk, the danger that this particular act could cause, and then disregarding that risk, disregarding that danger by not taking steps to ensure the safety uh, and uh, the proper protocol on handling the gun. So... That is kind of the theory under the involuntary manslaughter count, not the alternative, but the, the first count, and that is this notion that reckless conduct, which is essentially foreseeable conduct, should have known that the risk existed and that you not doing anything to address the risk, maintaining the danger, is what is at the heart of the elements necessary for that involuntary manslaughter. The alternative where they add the weapon charge uh, with regards to the five-year mandatory sa- statute, right, is the um, is a more interesting alternative in terms of the involuntary manslaughter and the, and the elements associated with the weapon itself. Because that's essentially saying negligence in terms of the, the crime and then the use of the weapon to further the negligence, which I think is a stretch, quite frankly, but um, I'm not yet committed to making that stand because I don't know all the facts that are going to be able to be substantiated. And how much of a case, I mean, is here, do you think, is the DAs have a strong case? You know, it, that's a good question because it really depends on the case that they put on. Remember, this isn't about an actor handling the gun only. Because I think if they were just going after him as an actor, I think that there are various layers of defenses that can be presented successfully or have a better chance to be presented successfully if it was only Mr. Baldwin's role as an actor. What they are doing and this investigation and ultimately the charges and and the facts that we've read in the complaint is bringing a broader Alec Baldwin into the picture, is bringing this producer, right, this executive producer that may have some heightened obligations and authority, right? So that's the kind of, um, that's the kind of uh, theory and case that gets a little bit more complicated. And um, based on what we know about certain aspects of the set, that there was lack of training in terms of uh, the use of weapons, a lack of safety standards, you know, they were short. And, and that's how they get to the idea of like uh, bringing in this idea of, of saving money at the expense of safety and people. Those are the kind of things that are going to be able to produce before a jury, which then I think is a different ballgame in front of a jury that they have to consider. So um, is there a case? I think there is a case on both um, alternative theories. Uh, is one maybe more than the other? possibly depending on the facts, but certainly his role as a producer, not just an actor, opens up more variety of attack by the DA. Yeah, it really feels like the 
thing that the DA's office will probably spend a significant time proving is how much of an authority Alec Baldwin ultimately was on this set. And yeah. I, I believe that. Yeah, we mentioned earlier on this episode, yeah, he was not only, you know, a lead actor on the film, but had the role of producer. And with that comes more managerial um, obligations, if you will. The consequences of this charge, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but if Baldwin is convicted of involuntary manslaughter, New Mexico law says this is a fourth degree felony with a sentence up to 18 months in prison and probation. How likely is it you think that he faces jail time? And if it's not likely, if maybe this results in, you know, a a trial and a big fine, what do you think the message is here? Well, with regards to the theory uh, under which the enhancement uh, is involved, that's a five-year mandatory jail time. So he'll have to serve that if he's convicted in regards to that. But the uh, alternative um, carries 18 months that is not mandatory. And, you know, I think... A lot of information is going to go forward before the judge deciding what the just sentence is going to be. Is there enough to suggest that the, that Mr. Baldwin should be sentenced to jail or a portion of a sentence should be a, a jail sentence because of multiple factors like deterrent factors? You know, there's this big national discussion now about, you know, Hollywood catching up to the idea of of safety versus money uh, and uh, and not short-ending safety of people on sets. So there's a lot of policy making in the context of this case and shaping and recognition of there is no such thing as a, a gun that can only be used for a make-believe set and not take the steps to secure that gun in the context of a make-believe set. A gun is a gun. It's dangerous outside the set. It's dangerous inside the set. And everybody's going to have to know that when you're handling a gun, whether somebody else is handling it, you have a duty to look at whether this is a safe uh, weapon uh, for purposes of what you're trying to accomplish on the set. um, And you have an obligation to do that. A lot of these policy conversations are going to take place in the context of the sentencing and this idea of whether a message needs to be sent to the community. It's going to be up to the judge, but I think they're going to have some competing factors. What he's got going for him, obviously, is lack of criminal history and, you know, all those other circumstances that are normally taken into account when there is um, a sentencing. And remember, there was a civil case that ended up in a settlement in this matter. And so that's going to somewhat play a role. I know you're not, and you kind of spoke to this a little bit, but I know you're not a movie industry expert. We can all acknowledge this has an impact, though, on that industry, which is also a big deal for New Mexico. Do you believe that this will change how the movie industry operates when it comes to firearms on sets? Is this a discussion that will come up in in future industry discussions about how to use weapons on movie sets? I, I absolutely believe that it already has changed that the dialogue Really, I think the civil case in this matter, and uh, I know that we haven't, there hasn't been much coverage more recently, of the civil case in one of the uh, local attorneys, uh, law firms here, Randy McGinn uh, and Associates and our partners, um, did a phenomenal job uh, co-counseling with, I know, an L.A. firm to deal with the uh, civil side of things. And, you know, the, that was about, you know, bringing forward a absolute, you know, fight against uh, this lack of awareness and the lack of 
diligence in terms of Hollywood and, and the way they were doing business. I see that there is already a change and that this is going to be, this case is going to be pivotal in securing that the change um, continues to where standards are, uh, are placed and just not discretionary, but are actual policies that are followed. You know, there's regulations, there's policies that exist. The problem is that in some sets, they don't follow them. And so I do believe that this is going to be, this case is going to continue uh, as a pivotal point to secure the industry's attention and certainly their actions moving forward to spend the right amount of money to bring in the right training and the right personnel uh, on, in, in any set. Have you ever thought about being a judge? Um, have I thought about being a judge? I've thought a lot about being a judge and I thought a lot about why I wouldn't be a judge. Right. Um, I like <laughs> and, advocating. And along those lines, I mean, what does this case make you say about, man, I wonder what the judge would think having to sit or who sits on this case, what they would think. I mean, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. I have to tell you, I think you're going to see a, a significant trial, whether it's one defendant, Mr. Baldwin or Ms. Gutierrez-Reed. Um, um, I, I think you're going to see experts. I think you're going to see experts that talk about the standards that have been in place. I think you're going to see um, information about roles in terms of, for example, Mr. Baldwin being an executive producer. And what does that really mean? Is it, a, is it just a title that they give certain actors uh, and without the day-to-day duties? Or is there going to be a somewhat of a, of a more in-depth conversation regarding, um, you know, um, uh, producers in general and whether if they take on the title under any circumstance, they also have the obligations. So this judge is going to listen to things that, um, uh, that we're all hopefully going to be somewhat privy to, but I don't think it's a complicated set of circumstances. I think it's unique and f- particularly tragic, no doubt, right? Because we lost a, an up-and-coming beautiful person from all accounts. I mean, a rising star in the industry and a 42-year-old mother and just uh, the wonderful things that everybody's been saying about her. So there is tragedy, um, but at the same time, the legal issues as you're, are very unique. And so I think there's going to be uh, definitely no lack of interest in listening to all that information coming in. Some broad implications, sure. certainly, from this case. Well, Ahmad, thank you so much for sharing your expertise once again on the podcast. We appreciate you. I appreciate being here. Thank you so much. Thanks again to local Albuquerque attorney Ahmad Assad for offering perspective in this case. It is something that is uh, very appreciated amongst us because, yeah, he has a perspective of nearly 30 years practicing law in Albuquerque and I think can really testify to the ideas, you know, whether or not this case will actually move forward because it's one thing to see criminal charges filed. It's another thing to actually see trials move forward. Trials are often a lot more rare than just the filing. Um, It takes a lot to get to a trial. So appreciate Ahmad's perspective. Yeah, and it'll certainly be something that we will all keep eyes on. I mean, this has gotten a lot of local and national attention. There's been a lot of moving parts in this case, even since the shooting happened. So we will keep you posted on air and online at krqe.com. Share this episode with a friend. Leave us a comment. Feel free to reach out. I'm Gabrielle.Burkhart at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media. 
I'm at Chris McKee TV on social media and also Chris.McKee via email. Thank you for listening.